Life can be challenging, but there is nothing gained by making it unnecessarily difficult. The wise person seeks out ways to smooth out or avoid mountains of difficulty. So why is it that our ministries in service of the King of Kings are often so challenging? Surely an omnipotent God like ours could pave over the stresses of ministry. Why doesn't he? Why do so many of us find our work for the Lord so difficult? Why doesn't God make ministry easy? If you have ever asked that question, you'll want to listen in to today's podcast as Kent Edwards, Nathan Norman, and Vicki Hitzkis look at the unnecessarily difficult ministry of Jesus' disciples and try to understand why. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the Gospel of Mark. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Mark chapter 6 as we join their discussion. Nathan, Vicki, both of you are in ministry, different kinds of ministry, but in ministry. Nathan, you're a pastor, and Vicki, you're in the business world as a motivational speaker. Could God make your ministries easier? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd say so. <laughs> How? What would you, if you could have God do anything, what would he do to make your ministries easier? Oh, my goodness. I, you know, give us a little more space so that we could uh, grow a little bit at this church. We uh, maybe make some people a little more compliant <laughs> and agreeable. Yeah, make 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 him more appealing to people. Yeah. People less closed to the idea of him. Okay. Uh, yeah, and like all the little stuff, right? Like it's ministry is death by a thousand paper cuts. Right? It's <laughs> it's the phone calls you get, it's the uh the drama that happens, it's the angst, it's it's the paperwork that you have to fill out, it's uh the village coming in and saying, Hey, you can't exactly do it this way and now you have to change everything. Right. It's all these little things. Like, could you make the administration a little bit easier? Could you make the uh, finances a little bit easier? Uh, could you make some of the interpersonal stuff? Could you not make like half of my congregation move away in the middle of a pandemic because they lost their jobs and they have to go find gainful employment somewhere else? Right. Like, really? You know? <laughs> so if there's a mountain of ways that God could make our ministries easier, I wonder why he doesn't. I think um, Jesus' disciples asked that question. In Mark chapter 6, it begins <laughs> with the realization it wasn't even easy for Jesus. In the um, opening verses, we read that uh, Jesus, when he started his ministry, was rejected in his hometown. People were insulting him. Isn't this the father of Joseph, implying that his mother was impregnated outside of marriage? Mm. Uh, in fact, there was such resistance that, and such little faith in his hometown that it was he only did a few miracles there. But Jesus doesn't make it easy on his disciples either. I mean, look at what it says, starting in verse 7 through verse 11. Vicki, could you read that for us? Sure. Now, imagine when I read it that these are your instructions. Okay. 
It says, calling the 12 to them, he began to send them out two by two. These were his instructions. I imagine these are your instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, (laughs) no bag, no money in your belt. You must wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Are these the instructions you would give to the youth group heading off on a missions trip? (laughs) You know, ironically, I preach... (laughs) I preach. No wonder your church is struggling, Nathan. <laughs> uh, I was preaching through, uh, I believe it was Luke, and uh, or maybe no, it must have been Matthew. And there was a, you know, the same text or similar text and uh, parallel text. And, and this was the text while w- the youth group was going out on a missions trip. <laughs> so, like we, we were commissioning them, they were leaving, and so it was fantastic because I looked at that, I read that, and I'm like, man, we did this wrong. And I looked at our youth leader, Chelsea, how could you, I, I, I pulled out her list. Look what you told them to bring on this trip, <laughs> right? All the things Jesus said not to. I, I mean, of course, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, of course, we told the youth to bring money. Of course, we told them to bring their cell phones. Of course, we told them to bring a change of clothes and a bed to lay on and, and all of these things. So, yeah, I would never give this advice. It's terrible advice for a missions trip. <laughs> I mean, look at it. You can take a stick. But no bread. You can't eat. Is eating helpful when you do ministry? Typically. It's helpful any time, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, otherwise you're going to get hangry. No bag, no change of clothes. Um, if you don't change your clothes, what's going to happen? You will smell. You need to start preaching downwind. That's what you need to do. <laughs> Outdoor services, because this is, this is going to be difficult. My oldest son, who has been a Marine told me that, Dad, when they send us out in the desert for training, the oh. worst thing is after day three, your own stink. You oh. just can't stand it. It is just awful. Which explains why the French invented perfume. Anyway, right. no money. Which means what? If you have no money, what can you not do? You can't buy anything. You don't have any food. You don't have any luggage. You don't have any right. way to get anything. Can't stay anywhere. Right. So this is not a rich person's vacation, you know, someone who goes without anything, but has, you know, the platinum American Express card that they can buy whatever they want as they go. No, there's no backup plan. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Well, the only reason you have to give that command is sometimes when you're a traveling evangelist, you and you stay with at someone's house, it's not that pleasant. And you want to leave. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And he's saying, don't. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where the accommodations that someone graciously provided were not all that uh, conducive to effective ministry? Yes. I don't know if we can publicly say it on here without uh, hurting feelings, so I won't. (laughs) (laughs) And I appreciate the graciousness. Yeah. (laughs) But I have been been in places where either the condition of the home or the relationship of the owners of the house was such that I could not get decent rest. Yeah. Um, it just was impossible. I can remember and, even traveling and in other countries and you go to a hotel that's nice and the room is like, oh man. 
and and asking to upgrade to the room. And they're like, well, that's going to cost an extra $3 a night. <laughs> I'll, okay. <laughs> I'll pay the money. <laughs> and then Jesus says, and if they won't listen to you, they're not receptive to your ministry, how should you leave? It says, leave and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So you make a big show of it. Yeah, and reject them publicly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not me, it's you. <laughs> your dirt isn't even worth taking with me. <laughs> Why would we say, typically, to a person beginning in ministry, that's not the best way to leave a church? It sounds rude. Well, it is rude, and what will it do? It'll come back to bite you, right? Right. Yeah. yeah so they won't. Hostile. Yeah, they won't give you a recommendation. Uh, they won't. <laughs> um, well, and everything you had done, all your good ministry that you've done before, is now ruined. Now they're mm -hmm. just like you're a jerk. And if they remember something that you taught, they're just gonna be like, oh well, he said that, she said that. It's terrible, right? <laughs> you, you've undermined your entire ministry. So, reality is. None of these instructions, to my mind, seem to make sense. All of them seemed to only make ministry. And by the way, this is the first ministry that the disciples have ever been on their own. Their very first ministry to be unnecessarily difficult. Wouldn't you agree? Sounds that way. Yep. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the look on the disciples' faces when he said all this? <laughs> Are you serious? I'm like, okay, you said I couldn't put the money on my belt. What if I put it like under yeah, yeah, my yeah. sandal, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> but yet we read in verse 12, the disciples were very faithful in their ministry. I mean, look at what it says there, Nathan. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Wow. Preaching repentance is not easy, right? Oh, no. I mean, it's always nicer to tell people what they want to hear not that they have to change their behavior. And confronting the demonic and helping people who are desperately ill, you and I know the emotional toll that takes and the physical toll that takes as you're ministering over and over and over again, especially with the restrictions that Jesus has placed in your ministry. Right. Well, and, and, and just think about, they've got droves of demon-possessed and and sick people coming to them. And I, honestly, my ministry, like doing a hospital visit is like, I'm, I'm done. I'm emotionally done. I'm drained. <laughs> it's over. I'm worthless for the rest of the day. Really. I'm just do some busy work. It, it It's hard. And it these guys, I mean, just, it's not just one hospital visit. It's visiting the whole hospital. And they're rookies, right? <laughs> yeah. This is their rookie. first ministry trip. Which means that their sermons didn't come out of a barrel. They had to be creating new sermons. They had to be learning how to minister to people. I mean, this is the this is the first time out. How, how do you think, Vicky? How do you think they will be feeling at the end of this when their ministry tour ended? What would be their emotional, physical state? Well, emotionally, oh, they're going to be exhausted, both exhausted physically, mentally, but. Don't you think they'd just be wowed and amazed and mature? No. Certainly. Wrong they... answer I can tell, but... but. <laughs> well, I think the emphasis of the text is just that this was they were faithful and did good ministry, and I commend them for it, in spite of the challenges of being a first ministry, and especially because of the seemingly unnecessary restrictions that Jesus placed on them. That did not make it easier. 
And don't put any gas in your youth van as you're traveling to North Carolina. Wait, what? <laughs> How are we supposed to get there? Just go. <laughs> no Wait gas. Wait by the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> but cheer up. It got worse. Because as they were on their way back to Jesus for some R&R, somebody, one of the disciples, picked up the copy of the Jerusalem Times. And the front page story was what, Nathan? What's in the next scene? Well, it was about uh, King Herod. Uh, and mm. Herod, in the text, he'd heard about what the apostles were doing, and he thought that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Uh, because Herod had imprisoned John the Baptist for calling to him to repent, just like the disciples were doing right now. But uh, Herod protected his life because uh, he feared John. He was intrigued by him, even though John was calling him to repentance and uh, saying that his relationship with uh, Herodias was immoral. But unfortunately, Herod promised Herodias's daughter a favor after she had done a seductive dance. Mm hmm. And uh, she went back to Herodias' daughter, went to her mom, and her mom said, well, yeah, that, that no good rotten John the Baptist who keeps talking against me and my marriage and the power that I've built for myself here, request his head on a platter. And uh, so she did. And Herod had John executed, and John's disciples buried him. It's not exactly the way I think John the Baptist would have scripted the end of his life. Oh, it's the worst. I hate that he died this way. Yeah. Like a horny old man has you murdered. Right. Right. Like who wants to that? To try and impress a you know, His young girl who did a pole dance. Like, right. Like what a, yeah, I want to go out guns a blazing. I don't want to go out because some dirty old man had, uh, had a moment of, of lapsed judgment. So imagine you're the disciples. They went out and they preached what kind of sermon? A sermon sermons of repentance. Of, sermons of repentance. What was John the Baptist famous for? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Sermons of repentance. So Jesus will say elsewhere that um, he's like one of the greatest preachers of all time. So wouldn't it be fair to say that John the Baptist would have, for the disciples, kind of be one of their heroes? Absolutely. That if they could do ministry as effectively John the Baptist, that they've reached a high watermark? Yeah. And yet here they see that someone who has done ministry, like they're being called to, ends up facing a death as awful as this one. If they were discouraged and tired from their ministry assignment, this would not have picked up their spirits. Physically tired from their ministry, emotionally discouraged when they hear what happens to a faithful repentance preacher. But they make it back to Jesus. And we read in verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Can you just hear them all excitedly gathered around? We did this and this happened and this and this happened. Everyone talking at once over each other. So excited to be away from the people, back with their Savior, able to debrief. And then, because so many people were coming and going, we read in verse 31, so many people coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. By the way, why does he say they did not have a chance to eat? They weren't allowed to take food with them in the first place. Ah, because they're still hungry. Right. They've been hungry, obviously eating something, but not having lots of food. The narrator wants to remind us they are still hungry. This has been a difficult, arduous trip, even though they did not have a chance to eat. So he said, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. 
Those are wonderful words, aren't they? Yeah. Aren't they the words on every retreat center in the world? Uh, over the door? Come with me to a quiet place to get some rest. Now, they're wonderful words, comforting words, words of compassion that Jesus gives them. And he acts on it. In verse 32, he says, So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. We're going to see that people could run there faster. They could get there by boat. So I think that part of the what Jesus is doing here is he's deliberately taking them on a boat ride before they get to their place of solitude. I've found few things more relaxing and refreshing in life than being on a boat on the water. Um, they have this wonderful, peaceful experience. No storms, no problems. They're just slowly making their way across the lake. and looking forward to this wonderful time with Jesus. And then what happens? What happens, Vicki, in verse 33 and following? It says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus <laughs> landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So <laughs> this is good news for the crowd, right? Oh, they're thrilled. Yeah, they're thrilled. So this is an unexpected time. He gets off the boat. Thousands of people are there, and uh, Jesus has compassion. It's bad news for whom? The disciples. <laughs> Why? Why? They're hungry. They're tired. They want to get away. They want to eat. They want to rest. And then this crowd, it's like the Beatles at Shea Stadium, you know? <laughs> yeah, they, they finally get a vacation, and their cell phone lights up, and you know, someone comes to their house. Hey, we've got this emergency. you got to deal with it. <laughs> They have been inundated with the requests of people all the time. And Jesus said, we will go away and spend some quiet time together, right? Right. He promised no. them. <laughs> and no, yeah. he not only sees his crowd, but you can imagine their, their faces fall when they realize he was filled with compassion <laughs> and didn't just give a short word, but he winds up for a long one. Like, this is... I think they're frustrated. The disciples, okay, you have compassion on them. How about us? Right. <laughs> I think they're saying, we have given everything, and you just, it's getting harder and harder and harder to do this ministry. Jesus, I just want to sleep. I just want to rest, please. <laughs> Sometimes you want lots of people in your ministry. That's Sunday morning when you stand out on the... Uh, uh, front by the front door of the church, hoping that the multitudes will come to hear you speak. But on Monday, when you're beat and, and tired, you don't want your phone to blow up, right? Right. And they're in this situation, and they want this to end. They frankly want the people to go away, but they can't tell that to Jesus because, you know, he's full of compassion. So uh, they got to come up with a plan. I don't know which one did it. I, my, my money's on Peter. I have no evidence for that in the text, but I'm... <laughs> Um, he tends to do a lot of different things. So maybe it was Peter, whoever it was, they came up with a plan. And it's really quite brilliant. I think they spent, you know, probably an hour or two under a tree trying to come up with it. And so they came up to him in verse 35 and 36 with their plan. What was it? Well, it's not a very complicated plan, but it says, by this time it was very late in the day. So the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. 
I think that's, you're right, it's simple, but I think it's genius in many ways. Nathan, why? why what's the genius behind the request? Well, they're showing compassion for the people, right? Right. They're not saying, hey, get these lowlifes out of here. We're tired. It's time for our vacation. They're saying, saying, oh, we're so concerned about these people. They need to go find something to eat. So you should send them on their way, Lord. Because it's all about them. Right. So send them away. (laughs) (laughs) So Jesus, and by the way, if you've read through the Gospels, it's never a good idea to try to outsmart Jesus. Like he he, he never loses an argument. Like don't, don't. Don't think you're smarter than him. It just doesn't turn out well. And so he says in verse 37, go on, Vicki, what does he say when they say, send them away so they can get something to eat? He responds, you give them something to eat. (laughs) (laughs) I think those are some of the most harsh words in the Bible. I mean, (laughs) for him to say that to the disciples, can you imagine their faces? I mean, I, I think they would have just about exploded. Why? Why would it have seemed so um, unkind, unfair for Jesus to say to them in, in response, you give them something to eat? It's impossible. They don't have food to begin with. They never had it for themselves. <laughs> they never even had a chance to grab lunch before they got on the boat. <laughs> and they can't go buy food. Why? They don't have any money. They don't have any money. They right. weren't supposed to take any. <laughs> and you... And who told them they shouldn't bring bread or money? Jesus. Jesus. You set us up for this, and now you're saying you go solve it. This cannot be done. And and they explode with frustration. Look at what they said in verse 37, Nathan. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wage. And we are to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Especially since we have no money in our pockets. I guess it makes me pause at this point in the story and say, have you ever wondered why Jesus makes our ministry unnecessarily difficult? Why would Jesus keep making their ministry increasingly difficult? He told them what they couldn't take on their journey. In his divine timing, now's when they saw the newspaper headline, John the Baptist, their hero, is dead. Is that what they can look forward to if they're successful in ministry? And then they can't get a quiet time. And now you ask me to produce bread for all these people when we have absolutely none? Do you ever feel like that's what ministry is like? By given an impossible task? By a God who could but chooses not to give you the resources that you need? (sighs) I I think that's a rhetorical question. The correct answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and it's frustrating when you watch other people do ministry in their, um, in their churches or in their jobs and their careers. And at least from our perspective, my perspective, they have everything, right? They have all the finances. They have all the people, they have all the systems in place. Uh, they have the resources of, of, um, vehicles if they need vehicles they have training available if they have training and then you look at your own ministry and you're like i i got nothing i'm i'm doing i have no resources like it's it's me and a handful of other people and we don't have the finances we don't have the training available we uh certainly don't have facilities we uh we certainly don't have the means to do anything and yet jesus you've called me to change the world what what do you want from me and you who could provide all of my needs yeah. Have not. You own a cattle on a thousand hills, right? 
Right. And all I want is one piece of steak. Uh, can we make that happen? And remember, this is their first ministry. This is their first time um, out on their own. How do many people respond when Jesus assigns them at tasks as difficult to accomplish as it is to climb Mount Everest? When the obstacles oh, seem... Yeah. And they would say, God, you, you failed me, right? I didn't fail you. You failed to provide what I needed. You gave me an impossible task. And uh, it's impossible. I think that's why many people quit ministry. They try and they try and they try and they feel, God, you have made my ministry too difficult. I mean, you think about uh, when we're recording this, we're still in the middle of COVID, right? And not just like pastors who've had a really hard time and having to make all sorts of decisions about where to meet, how to meet, safe practices and being criticized no matter what choices they make and people are leaving. And not only that, but you think about other people's ministries like like uh, our healthcare workers and the ministry that they're doing, and they're quitting in droves um, as they are trying to save and minister to others. And, and they're exhausted and they get nothing but criticism and they get sick. And, uh, and it's just, it, it seems utterly impossible. Or you think about teachers, right? I know uh, in at least my part of the country, we, we have a huge teacher shortage because they're mm -hmm. tired, they're exhausted, they're trying their best mm -hmm. and they get nothing but criticism from parents, they get nothing but criticism from the administration. And it's like, it's not worth it. This is an mm -hmm. utterly impossible ministry that you've called me to God. Mm -hmm. So what's fascinating to me is that Jesus responds to their clear frustration. I think at this point, the disciples have just about reached their limit. And what does he tell them to do in verse 39 and 40? Go sit down. <laughs> so who does he, who does he speak to? And Jesus directed them, the disciples, to have all so the people sit the down disciples. in groups. Okay. So notice with me, he's been preaching all day, right? Right. So he could have told them to sit down in groups easily. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He tells the disciples, you go around and have people sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Why? So when they go around and they're going, they're going to go to a group of people and say, I want you all to sit down in a group here, sit down in a circle over here. And the people are going to ask a question. And what are they going to ask? Why? Why? Why are we sitting down? And they're going to say what? Because <laughs> Jesus said so. Because <laughs> it's time to eat, except they know what? There's no food. There's no food. So I can tell you when I have been in parts of the world where there was great hunger, if you promise people food, you better, you better deliver. You better have it or you're in trouble. How many people are at this gathering? The text will tell us. 5,000 men. Right? men. Yeah. 5,000 men, right? So maybe so, like 10,000. 10, 15, 20,000, there's a huge crowd, right? By any measure that you have, all hungry. And they have told, Jesus had the disciples tell them to sit down and would have had to explain it's time for lunch. Except the disciples knew there was no food. So what do the disciples think is gonna happen when Jesus makes the announcement, sorry about that for my underlings, sorry they told you there actually is no food. Well, what, what is likely to happen? going to be angry at the disciples. No, it's going to be a riot. They're going to come at them. I think they're scared to death. And then what does Jesus do? Did 
you think after all the miracles I'd seen, they didn't, they wouldn't think, oh, he's going to fry up a mess of fish or something? No, I, well, I think from a human perspective, I think they were, they felt like it was in a bad situation. Yeah, well, you, you, you can see it both ways. I've had God, you know, deliver me and, and provide for my family, myself, my church so many times. And then, but then, you know, when I, when a new challenge comes along, I'm, I'm just like, oh man, you know, I'm all frustrated <laughs> again. And I'm like, oh, come on, God, don't you love me? Why, why aren't you I, doing I, something here? I totally hear that. But he isn't like standing right there, you know, he had it right in front of your face. He hasn't lifted a girl from the dead, you know? So, yeah. So I'm trying to figure out in this text, what is the tension that's being developed? What is the narrator trying to tell us? So I see in this text that it is difficult and discouraging ministry for the disciples as they go out in their preaching ministry. It is difficult and discouraging as they hear about their hero being executed. It is difficult and discouraging when Jesus promises rest and doesn't give it to them. And, uh, and then when he demands that they do the impossible. I think that is, uh, I think the text is clearly states that they are frustrated. And so my question would be, why is he doing this? He will never do it again. Why does he do it now? What is the method in his madness? And in verse 41, we read what? 40, verse 41 and 42. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. I think this is so interesting. He gives thanks to his father and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Another interesting tidbit, because he's got almost nothing there, but he, he hands it out to 12 people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all, 5,000 people, they all ate and were satisfied. Who distributed the food? 12 people who thought they were going to get stoned and mobbed because there wasn't anything. Imagine how that would have impacted them. We thought this was an impossible task. And Jesus made the impossible possible. And I am able to do what I could never have done on my own because he made it possible. I think that Jesus is not giving this as a model for how to do missions trips, Nathan. So <laughs> please apologize to your missions trip leader. This is not um, a recipe that says we should look for the most difficult ways possible to do ministry. Right. But I think in this first ministry exercise, Jesus is teaching his disciples the first and perhaps most important lesson in ministry. And that is that they cannot do God's ministry in their strength. I think he pushed them and pushed them and pushed them so they were obviously beyond their human capacity and said, good, at that point, come to me. Come to me and I will do what you can't do. If you try to do ministry all on your own, if you think you've got the resources to do God's ministry in your strength, you will get frustrated, angry, and bitter, and then you will quit. Jesus is not trying to hurt his disciples. He's trying to teach them something here. And that's why at the end of this story, 
we read that how many baskets were left over of food? How many? Twelve. Twelve? Huh. Hmm. How many disciples were there? Mm, uh, Twelve. Twelve. Huh. Huh. So he didn't want them to starve while doing ministry. But once they learned the lesson that the only effective ministry is ministry that is dependent on him and not themselves, he said, here, here's a whole basket of food. You can carry this around all week. It was enough for 50 or 100, right? And now you've got it for yourself for the whole week. Munch away. I don't want to make your life unnecessarily difficult, but I do want to teach you through this exercise that ministry that is effective is when we bring our needs to him and allow him help us accomplish the ministry we could never do on our own. Why does Jesus sometimes make our ministries unnecessarily difficult? So that we, like the disciples, will learn to bring our needs to him, to lean on him rather than ourselves. Because God's ministry can only be accomplished in God's strength. And that is a hard but critical lesson that each of us must learn. Ministry is hard, but that's okay because God shows up. We can't do God's ministry apart from God's strength. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational, nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're enjoying it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion of the Gospel of Mark. You won't want to miss it.